Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. Well, if you remember from last week, um, we started looking at Colossians chapter 2. And in Colossians chapter 2, Paul is addressing some, some struggles that the church was having. There were people that had come into the church and they were telling the, the Corinthian church that you, you are a follower of Christ, but you still need to do other things in order to be fully saved. And in the case of the Corinthian church, what they were doing is they were telling them that they needed to be circumcised in order to be fully Christian. And we still see some of those types of mindsets to this day. There are people that will say, well, yes, you can become a Christian, but you have to be baptized, or you have to be baptized in our pond, or you have to be sprinkled, or you have to be a member of our church, or, or you have to pray a certain prayer in order to be saved. They, you know, they have some condition on to salvation. And the truth is, is that as followers of Christ, we don't need any kind of ceremony. Yes, we do participate in baptism. And yes, it is important because Jesus commanded us to do that. But as the thief on the cross is proof that if someone doesn't get baptized, if they have fully committed themselves to Christ, they're saved. The baptism doesn't save somebody, it is just the outward uh, commitment that a person is showing is there. You know, what, what Paul is, is telling them is that when Jesus saves, He saves completely. He saves, he saves fully. And that as, as we receive Christ's salvation, using the picture of circumcision, Paul says that our, our dead life, our, our sinful life, was cut away. And so when, when Jesus was buried, we, in our, it's from a spiritual standpoint, our sin nature was buried with Christ. And when He resurrected, we resurrected with Him as new creations. And it's all done by the power of God. Now, it's done. It's complete. There's nothing else that you have to go out and do in order to finalize it. Your salvation is complete in Jesus Christ. Now, that was last week's sermon. See, I've done it in two minutes last week, but I didn't. Um, now, in addition to that, Paul goes on to say, plus having complete salvation in Christ, there are also other benefits. There are also things that, that come to us as being committed to Christ. And, and one of those is, is that we have complete forgiveness from God. 
and we also have complete victory. These are two really important, especially the forgiveness. You know, a, a lot of people carry around a lot of baggage through their life because they, they feel like I have done things that are so bad, I don't see how God can really forgive me. Or because I have hurt people in, over the course of my life, I, I, I want to believe God forgave me, but the people around me still haven't forgiven me, and I haven't forgiven myself, so I really struggle with how can God have forgiven me. And so what I want us to do today is understand that when, when we come to Christ, we are truly completely saved. We are truly completely forgiven. Let me begin looking at Colossians 2 with verse 13. It is you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. There's that circumcision thought there. Every time I say that, every guy in the room winces. Um, <laughs> then... God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly and his victory um, by his victory over them at the cross. First of all, what I want, as I read through that, notice where it's talking about he and him, and then in contrasted with you. He says, and you, dead in your sins, and your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Now, that doesn't sound good, does it? You know, the fact is that we are still dead in our sinful nature. But then he goes on and he says, then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins. You see, you and I are in really bad shape because um, Jesus conquered all sin. And if you are in Christ, you, you share in his resurrection. But before that happens, you were dead in your sins. Now, do you understand what it means to be dead in your sins? This is, this is an important, important thought that we need to, to make sure we're, we're good and snug on. The concept of being dead in your sins, it, it, this is a spiritual problem. It's, it's speaking about your position. Uh, that If a person is spiritually dead in sin, then it means that from a, a spiritual standpoint, you are not alive. You know, when something is dead, it means that it doesn't respond to any kind of stimulus. You know, that you can, you can poke a dead person and they don't respond. You can electrocute a dead person and they don't respond. You can, you can do all kinds of things to a dead person and they don't respond. Well, Spiritual death means that when anything comes to a person from a spiritual standpoint, they don't respond. They, they can't respond. And so what happens is when a person hears, for instance, the gospel message, they don't accept it. The reason that they don't accept it is because they're dead spiritually. 
They, they have and no ability to respond. This is why it's so important that you pray for your loved ones, that you pray for your friends and your neighbors who do not know Christ, because it's God who raises the dead, not humans. And so if you have a loved one that you want to see come to Christ, the way it's going to happen is spiritual. And so the best, the only way to enact a spiritual response is through prayer, that the Holy Spirit gets a hold of an individual and brings them to life. Now, the first thing that, that Paul is talking about here is that people are spiritually dead. And, and I want to make it very clear. Every single human being on the face of the earth is born spiritually dead. There is no one who is other than Jesus Christ. There is no one who is not born spiritually dead. Period. There, there's no debate. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. And so that's, that's bad enough in and of itself. But then Paul goes on and says that he, he makes reference to the fact that your sin nature was not yet cut away. Well, what does that mean? What, what's he talking about? He is speaking to Gentiles. And a Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew. Okay? Anybody that's not Jewish. So what he's saying is, is because we're all born spiritually dead, and because you are not in the Jewish realm, you also do not have access to the truth of God. Because only at the, that point, the Israelites were the only ones who had that were God's people. They were the only ones who had been given the truth of God. So they, anyone that wasn't, or that was a Gentile had not been given the covenant. What's the covenant? Remember, God made a covenant with Abraham, and then he made a covenant with Moses. Uh, we talk a lot about the Ten Commandments. Well, those were the part of the covenant that God made. Basically, God said, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to look out for you. I'm going to take care of you. And here's what I want you to understand about how you relate to me. That was the covenant. So if you were a Jew, you at least were being given that information so even though you were born spiritually, there were people who <clears throat> had come to faith. You know, we, we read the Old Testament. You see all of these people who were of the faith. And as a result, they were able to lead and guide other Jews into the faith. But if you were outside the faith, if you were a Gentile, you were born dead in your sin and you didn't have access to the truth of God's Word. So you were kind of in a, a double whammy type of situation. And so this, we, we, we have this image that as Gentiles, we're in a pretty bad state of affairs. 
Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship because the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Now that is a statement of every human being apart from Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's a pretty sad place to be. It's one thing to be dead in sin, but it's, it's doubly serious to be dead in sin and outside of the covenant, outside the promise. You know, there, there's no hope, there's no truth, there, there's no way to come to God in the world whatsoever. And so, you know, Paul is saying, God looks down on you people who are dead in your sins and you're without him, you're without hope and without revelation. And so what did God do? Well, what is the one thing that a dead person needs? They need life. And so that's what God does in verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. Paul is saying that you Gentiles, even though you were dead, even though you were outside the covenant, when Jesus went to the cross, His blood shed will even cover you. So spiritually dead people, utter, you know, utterly defeated, dominated by sin, powerless to break the sin, powerless to know the truth of God, without hope, without God, without any choice, without any chance, they're locked in their sinful nature, and all of a sudden God comes along and says, I can make you alive through the blood of Jesus Christ. Who makes them alive? God makes them alive. It's nothing they did. It's nothing any of us do to become saved. It's God who did it all. You know, every once in a while you'll hear someone say, well, back in such and such a year, I found the Lord. No, you didn't. The Lord found you. You know, you were lost and you weren't even looking. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, the reason people don't come to salvation when they hear the gospel message is because they are spiritually dead. They do not have the capacity to respond. Only God can raise the dead. And so it is our responsibility to pray for them, to reach out to them, to help them. You know, through, through the, the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God can bring life where there is none. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It is His complete work on the cross. He alone frees us from sin. So this new life is so vital, it's so liberating, that it can only be described as resurrection life. 
Even for us Gentiles, it, it's, it's the only way that we can come to Christ and it has nothing to do with a ceremony. You know, it, it, when we get baptized, that, that's not salvation. You know, salvation isn't, isn't accomplished by anything we do. Now, how does this happen? Well, in verse 9, it, sa there, it says, in Christ. In verse 10, with Christ. Verse 11, to Christ. Verse, uh, verse 12, with Christ. Verse 13, with Christ. The common denominator, Christ. Christ is the centerpiece. It is all about Jesus Christ. When you put yourself in the hands of Christ, you by faith turn your life over to Him then salvation takes place. And Paul says, and, and, and this is one of the major benefits of salvation, at the end of 13, it says, God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all our sins. Past tense. It's already done. It's not something that you're waiting on down the road. It's, it's now. How many of our sins have been forgiven? All of our sins. You know, that, that's part of the miracle of salvation. In Psalm 32, verse 1, it says, It is a great blessing when people are forgiven for the wrongs they have done when their sins are erased. You know, that's a happy verse. You know, I, I, don't, I don't like feeling guilty. I don't, I don't want to have to carry around all of the burden. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that He may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for He will forgive generously. How about Acts 10.43? He is the one all of the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in Him will have their sins forgiven through His name. 1 John 1.9, But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Hebrews 8.12, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. What? Did you hear that? Remember how long? Never again will I remember their sins. You know, sadly, there are a lot of us Christians who we continue to, to carry around our bag of sins. We continue to carry around our guilt. We, we continue to, to walk around and say, oh man, I, you know, man I, this is terrible. I, I, and, and, and what we need to understand is our sins are forgiven. You know, the highest court in the universe is God. And if God has forgiven me, who am I? not to forgive myself, and who am I not to forgive others? We need to understand that. I know that there's, there's this kind of sense of piety that, well, I'm, I'm just such a bad sinner. And, and, and okay, I know we're all bad sinners, okay? But God has forgiven us. The Bible tells us that. And so what we need to understand is that 
what God has forgiven, we don't need to keep bringing up to him and, and keep saying, yeah, but God, really? Uh, you know, um, have you ever thought about the fact that God's forgiveness has, has character to it? It has, it has different levels or, or different values to it. You know, for example, God's forgiveness is, is gracious toward us. You know, his, his forgiveness is gracious. You didn't earn his forgiveness. It was, it was given to you freely. You know, it, it is a gift that is provided. Romans 3.24 says, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. He made us clean. He made us right. He justified us freely by his grace. Titus 3, 4 through 7 says, when God our Savior revealed his kindness of love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through his, the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. <clears throat> As I read through that, did it, did it stand out? Everything is God doing it. God is extending grace. God is forgiving. God is making everything right. We have a responsibility of saying, yes, please. I mean, that, that's it. That, please, I, that's, I want that. You know, God's forgiveness is gracious. It's also complete. It's total. It's, it's, there, there's nothing left out of it. In Ephesians 1, verse 7, it says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. How much forgiveness is there? Equal to the riches of His grace. You want to know how much forgiveness you have? Well, how much grace does God have? That's a lot of forgiveness, isn't it? You know, let me help you with that. Remember, where sin abounds, grace does what? Abounds much more. You know, so, so however much sin you have had, and, and let's don't put God to the test and say, well, I'm going to go out and really lay it on and see how much forgiveness is out there. That, that's not the right mindset. But understand that no matter how bad you have been, how evil you have been, how wicked you have been. You know, if, if Adolf Hitler had come to God and said, please forgive me, I am a sinner, I have done wrong, there would have been enough grace to forgive even him. We need to understand that. 1 John 2.12 says, My little children, I write to you because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. So next, God's forgiveness is not only gracious, it's not only complete, it's enthusiastic. You know, God is not up there saying, man alive, what have I gotten myself into? These morons cannot get anything right. They keep messing up. I am just sick to death of them and I wish 
I, I wish to myself that they would just die or something. You know, that, that, that's not what God's attitude is. God is saying, guys, I don't want anyone to perish, but everyone to have eternal life. So I am extending my gift of freedom to you. I am extending my gift of grace to you. I am extending forgiveness to you. All you have to do is come. You know, uh, Psalm 86, 5 says that he's ready to forgive. He's eager to forgive. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. Do you know what the message of reconciliation is? Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins. He was buried, and after three days, he rose again. That is the message of reconciliation. And if you come to God and say, God, please, I am a sinner, and I want to fall under the blood of Christ. I, I want the blood of Christ to be what saves me. And I, I repent of the sin in my life. I turn away from my old life and I give myself to you. Then you will be saved. God says, I want to resolve this. There is a brokenness between me and my creation. I want God, God says, I want you to know me, to have a relationship with me. I want to have you so that you are able to, to come into my presence and, and, and have a connection to me and, and to be able to worship me. You know, it is to your benefit to be able to know God. It is to your benefit to be able to worship God. It is to your benefit to be able to serve God. And, and God is saying, I am creating a way for that to happen. But you have to come to Him and repent and, and turn your life over to Him. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is patient because He wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. Well, wait a minute. This isn't universal salvation. Please hear that carefully. There is a consequence of not coming to God. It is called eternal damnation. It's a place called hell. And for all of the people who say, I don't care about God, I'm really not interested in God, I really don't care whether God's in my life or not, then when you stand before God in judgment, and you will, you will find out that God says, I honor your request. I am sending you to a place where I am not. It is a place called hell. And there in hell, you won't have to experience any of my presence. And as a result, it will be dark like dark has never known. It will be eternal anguish. It will be a lack of love. There will be no love. There will be no friendship. There will be no companionship. There will be nothing of the good things that we all enjoy because of who God is. The fourth thing, God's forgiveness is certain. You can count on it. It is absolute. In Acts 26, verse 18, Paul says, you know, Paul is saying, 
hey, Gentiles, I've, I've come to talk to you. And he says, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. This is God speaking to Paul. To open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to light and from, from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and will be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. In other words, this is based on a promise of God. That forgiveness of God is gracious, it's complete, it's eager, it's certain, and it's also motivating. When we, when we understand the, the love that God has given to us, and when we really get a hold of that, it should motivate us. You know, how? How do you ask? Well, Ephesians 4, 3, 4.32 says, Be kind to each other tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So what the idea there is, is that when you understand that God has forgiven you, that God has, has placed all of your brokenness, all of your wrong, all of your failing on Jesus, and you realize that you have been accepted into God's family and that He loves you and that He has adopted you as one of His own, how can you do anything other than to come to God and say, God, wow, I, I am blown away by what you have done for me. And, and there is no way that I am going to go and treat someone else harshly or be unkind or be unforgiving to someone else because you have forgiven me a debt that I could not possibly pay. And so I am going to forgive people when they have hurt me. In Colossians 2.14, which is where our text is, it says he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Now, that word record is an, an interesting, it, if you kind of do the entomology of, of the word, what it basically boils down to, it's an IOU. So what, he, what this is saying is, I, David Blakely, owe you $5 million. And it's signed by me. So what, what this is, is it's a signed confession of debt. You know, it's, it, you're saying, this is my sin. I own it. I, I have cost it against God. Because we need to understand, God is all authority. Everything, you know, it, it's God's. And so when I sin, I am, I am rebelling directly against God. I am coming against God and I'm saying, you know, that, that, that's what I'm saying to God. And so when I come before God and it says that he canceled the record of my charges. He had my IOU that was miles long of everything that I owed him. You know, all the wrong that's, that's on me. Not just what I've done in the past, but what I'm gonna do in the future. As much as I don't wanna sin, I know I'm going to sin into the future. And so everything I've ever done and ever will do was taken and God basically writes, paid in full, forgiven, and it was nailed to the cross. 
I am free of all of that. And if you are in Christ, you are free from all your sin, all your rebellion. And when we come before God and say, I own this, I realize that this is my sin, and I'm sorry for wronging you, I'm sorry for standing in defiance against you, God, please forgive me. The Bible says that when we come to him and confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin. And this is past tense. Jesus already died on the cross. You know, it's done. And so what's going on is God has forgiven me of all my, my sin, past, present, future, and it was dealt with back on the cross. Now, this is, this is a liberating thing when you stop and really let it begin to sink in. You know, when, when you come to God and you say, God, please forgive me, this is what's taking place. This is total forgiveness. And then there's the... It, it, it says he canceled the record of the charges against me. Literally, he wiped it off the board. You know, that, that's what, it, what this looks like. You are agreeing with God that this is your wrong. He's saying, is that your name there? Yes, sir. These are the list of your sins there. Yes, sir. They're forgiven. And he, he washes them off the chalkboard. They're done. They're gone. And they're, they're gone forever. They, you know, they're, they're not a temporary it, until you think of them again. They're gone. They were nailed to the cross with Jesus. By faith in Christ, God took the record of everything that we have done, our rebellion, and He wipes it out. You know, um, nothing, not a nit, zip, zilch, no trace. It's gone. It, it's done for. Complete salvation, complete forgiveness, and then finally, complete victory. In Colossians 2.15, it says, In this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and the authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What he's telling the Colossians here is that, hey, everything's been dealt with. So you don't need to be railing against the evil powers that are out there, okay? It's a done deal. Satan was defeated when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Satan and his powers no longer have authority over anything in God's realm. And so what we need to do is understand that and behave accordingly. You know, um, when Jesus died and rose again, he, he broke the back of any spiritual uh, opposition there is to him. You know, he, and the Bible here is telling us that he made a public spectacle of them, that, that basically he, he broke them. Remember the Bible says that, that Jesus bruised his heel and he crushed the serpent's head? Well, that took place on the cross when Jesus crushed Satan. And, and so he broke the powers that are aligned against him and, and against his children. 
Hebrews 2.14 says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. So Satan's dominion is, is broken. It, it's finished. And as Christ was suspended on the cross, you know, you, you can almost picture Satan and his powers are celebrating. They think, all right, we're pulling this off. We're, we're going to win this thing. And, and then all of a sudden at the last moment, wait a minute, this is God here. He can do what he needs to do. And Jesus rises from the dead. 1 Peter 3.18 says that when Jesus' body went into the grave, that His Spirit went down to the place where demons were bound, and it says that He claimed victory over them. He took the keys of death and Hades. In all of the universe, there is only one hope, and that is Jesus Christ. There is no other path. You know, you will hear people say, well, there's, there's many ways to heaven. We're just all on different paths. No, I'm sorry, that is not true. There is only one God. And there is, there is only one way, and it is Jesus Christ. And if you try to go any other way, you will stand condemned before God, and you will die in your sins. Because of Jesus Christ, we don't need to fear anything. The death and the resurrection of Christ was the transformational moment. The death of Christ is where the pardon for our sins takes place. And the death of Christ was where the triumph over sin and death and Hades was won. And it makes for a complete salvation, complete forgiveness, complete victory. We don't need to do anything except, except the gift of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for making this possible because we couldn't do it. Period. We only need to accept the gift that you have given us. And Father, my prayer right now is for the people who are, are here and those that are watching online. Father, for any individual who is still dead in their sin, I pray that you will take hold of them, that you will bring them to life, you will open their eyes, that you will awaken them to the truth of who you are and to the salvation that you have offered heavenly father my prayer is that you will turn them to yourself god be glorified and i pray that as as we do this time of invitation i would ask lord that you just help each person here to to be contemplative about their relationship with you are they walking in step with you or are they walking in opposition to you father help each of them to to clearly understand who you are and what needs to be changed so they are in step with you may your holy spirit 
be supreme. May your will be done in this, in this hour of decision. Be glorified, Father. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.